Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. was my intention to go deep on Mr. Hans and it was a fucking mistake. <clears throat> I'm going to need reminding about who Mr. Hans is. He was uh, fucked by a horse and then he died. Oh. Yes. <sighs> okay. I can't do it. <laughs> I watched the video again. <gasps> you could find it. I couldn't find it. I took a torrent. Right. Can it you, is it on your computer? Can you play it to us? You no, don't want to see it's it. deleted and I'm never, nobody should watch that ever again. Let my eye, let it die with me. Now, that's all I'm going to say. If you're, if you're, if you're thinking you're getting Mr. Hands, it ain't coming from me. Okay. It's too dark. She dove too deep. Welcome back <laughs> to, to the to creep, the creep dive. dive. Jen, how are you? Well, I'm feeling very unwell after what I said, after after this week's uh, somewhat disturbing, massively disturbing kind of what I might have done, which I didn't end up doing. So now in my head, I have this half story that obviously, OK, I'll have to do it because I need to complete the tale. Oh, my God. So okay. you are doing it. I have to. I mean, I can't have just watched Tonight. this. Fuck- no. OK. I'll need time. Sophie, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking me. I am now on tenterhooks. About this Mr. Hands that was dangled like a fucking carrot and then removed. There's no dangling. She that giveth then taketh away. I told For you anyone, exactly. 
for anyone who needs a reminder about Mr. Hans, he is the man that was referred to in last week's episode that was penetrated by a very large horse and resulted in his death. Ruptured his whole lower intestinal tract. <gasps> Devastating. Injury. Cassie, how are you? I'm good, yeah. I actually really enjoyed putting my story together this week. Samesies. Not that I don't usually, but it's a little lighter than usual. Oh, I have to say as well, you remember you were talking about your, um, you went on the kind of ice skating jag. Yes. Then I went on it as well. Thoroughly enjoyable. Here's the answer. Why they both fall over at the same time. What? You didn't get an answer. Because they're both, right, dancing together, Torval and Dean, all okay. They both equally diverge to do equally difficult things at the same time. It's part of this pointing structure. So they both just haphazardly fuck up at the same time because, because they're, they're both complicated. The difficult trick in the dance. No, it's more than that. It has to be more than that because it's like mirrored falling. Speaking of, did we all see Jimmy Collins fall over at the weekend? No. <laughs> I don't watch no. it. I don't watch it, but the clip is doing the rounds. You were the only creep who watched that. It's doing the rounds on Twitter. If anyone did go and look at the ice skating fails after last week's episode, I highly recommend Jimmy Collins. What's the verdict? Over. Uh, it was one of the most entertaining falls that I've that I've seen. People are su- suggesting that it was staged for the show. Which is, what's it dancing on the ice with the stars? The there stars dancing on the ice. Stars on ice. Stars on ice. Dancing, dancing in your <laughs> eyes. <laughs> ice in your eyes. Ice dancing. So um, that was an interesting segue. Who's going first? Okay, let's get back in. Right. I have a long story, but I have a long story because I've given a lot of history to the thing that I'm talking about. Well, we all do our clickbait headline and then we can decide who goes first and who does what. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. I'm going to need time to think of mine. Got it. Okay. Okay, go. Mine's the holy hypocrite. Mm. Hmm. Sophie? I wonder if there's any danger that we have the same story. It's very topical at the moment. No, mine isn't. Okay, so my clickbaity headline is What do JFK, Princess Diana, the Angel of Death, and Dungarvan have in common? Definitely not the same story. Excellent. I love your Irishness. Mine Gone is local again. Let's see now. Um, um, primate rips face off woman <laughs> and also takes her hands. <gasps> oh my God, I remember that one. No idea what you're talking about, but I'm intrigued. You want to kick it off? No, I kind of want Cass. Okay, well, I'll off. do it. I'll do it quickly. Okay. Because I've gone into it, like I'm looking at it here and I've gone into unnecessary detail, but if anybody wants to know the history of this, they can contact me. And, so, and Cassie will just run through it over the phone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Don't I'll record condense. a special spin-off that's like Cassie's Guide to Details. Conversion Therapy and XX Gaze. All right. So this is really, really topical this week. Now, just off the cuff, obviously, conversion therapy is 
ridiculous. It's still legal in 41 states in America. It's terrible. But there was a fantastic story that broke out earlier in the week of a... They call themselves ex-gays. These ministers who basically run conversion camps and um, preach to young Christian souls about the perils and the, the, the terrors of being a homosexual. And one of the leading ex-gays, one of the leading conversion camp leaders came out. Shock. Horror. But what I did in my research was compile a list of all of the conversion camp leaders who have in fact come out and who are now living as openly gay people. And there are many. But they, they are calling themselves ex-gay. So they are saying so, they were once gay. No, they call themselves ex-gay because they have acknowledged their same-sex attraction. So there's a lot of lingo involved in these kind of things. They call it SSA. Um, and these this particular group that this guy was involved with are the Journey to Manhood group. And they, call, yeah, they call themselves ex-gay because... Uh, of their acknowledgement of their sexuality and their decision then to go on and leave, lead a, a heterosexual lifestyle. Journey to manhood could be a very popular... Gay porno. Gay porno. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of that. So can I just... So this guy was gay, underwent conversion, supposedly successful conversion therapy but has now come out again. Yes, but it's and even deeper and better than that. No, he wasn't He wasn't necessarily living his life as a gay man. So basically, get into it, right? So I have done a whole history of conversion therapy and where it comes from. It's basically a lot of the, the scary thing about conversion therapy is that it's a lot more recent than you would think. Like it's not something that's come from the 19th century. In fact, the earliest, um, the earliest recordings of it were like, maybe maybe 1890 but it didn't really gain popularity till uh, the 1960s when it was like Ooh. widely kind of you know started being used across the US it goes back to um it goes right back to Sigmund Freud who was the first uh psychiatrist to look at this, right? So basically a woman reached out to Sigmund Freud and said that her daughter had same-sex attraction and was a homosexual. And Freud at that time believed that conversion was possible. So he spent some time working with the patient. And then I think he spent a couple of years working with the patient and he realized that um, the same-sex attraction was still present. The homosexuality was was uh, still present. Um, and that... So that was in 1920. And uh, he then said that, look, you know, you can try and live as a heterosexual person, but he believed it was an, that homosexuality was an inherent trait at that stage in the 20s. And then again in 1935, another woman approached Freud asking, her, asking him to change her son's sexual orientation. And he wrote a very famous letter to, um, to her that was published. And the letter was called A Letter to an American Mother, and in it, he states homosexuality is assuredly no advantage, but it is nothing to be ashamed of. No vice, no degradation. It cannot be classified as an illness. 
And so his research on it was quite respected, but a lot of his peers still believed that it was something that should be treated and should be classified as an illness and they would still attempt to put together this therapy. And it was actually Freud's daughter, Anna, who was particularly convinced that conversion was possible. And in 1956, she wrote that nowadays we can cure more homosexuals than was thought possible in the beginning, kind of like denouncing what her father had said, basically mm. saying that he, you know, it is possible and they keep going with it. Then in the 1950s, there was another study led by a psychoanalyst named Edmund Burglar. And he went on to publish a um, kind of a, a, a well, like a, a piece that was sort of well regarded as the start, the foundations of a lot of, cur- of conversion therapy. And it was Homosexuality, a psychoana- Psychoanalytic Study of Male Homosexuals. And in that, they said that virtually 100%, it was like between 90 and 100% of homosexuals could be converted. So this, despite like that being the key time in the US where there was a lot of awareness drawn for gay rights, you know, the Stonewall riots were in 1969. This was still happening kind of in the peripherals and it was gaining traction then. It kind of happened in tandem. Um, so... There was a couple of different people and at this at the the start of it came very much from like this psychoanalytic and psychological um sort of pseudoscience that they were saying that it was uh, an illness or whatever it wasn't really adopted by the um by christian bodies as we know it like we associate it now mm. with religious bodies that didn't really happen till kind of in the late in the late 60s and then early 90s was when it really started being adapted by religious groups um and that's when we started seeing people like uh joseph nicolasi and um the family research council and the american family association really promoting it and actually the first major campaign about conversion therapy happened in 1990 well not the first one but like a massive uh, campaign happened in 1998 where the uh, American Family Association spent $600,000 promoting conversion Whoa. therapy um, and a man called John Polk and his wife Anne then featured in like full page newspaper ads they were very religious and they were saying that this, this American Family Association was like Catholicism funded by I'm pretty sure they're, they're Catholic I think they're still quite um popular so in 1992 there was the national association for research of therapy of homosexuality was founded so that's north and that's definitely still or at least it was still very prominent for um for a couple of years and that was like the foundations of them really so then religious groups started adapting this science with quotation marks and applying it to things and while in its early stages it was therapists and there was like aversion therapy and there was lobotomies was all part of conversion therapy when it kind of came to christian ministers they adopted this uh, process of ex-gay ministry so this is where they had identified members of their congregations who kind of had confessed to 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 same-sex attraction but who had chosen to live a life of you know heteronormativity or going straight not usually celibacy no they they had a lot of the time they had uh, gone on to marry and have kids 
Um, so ex-gay ministry is just a form of conversion therapies. Um, aversion therapy, talk therapy and chemical castration seem to be the most common forms of conversion therapy. Um, yes. And so did they think like basically the best people to deliver this message were ex-gays themselves? Yes, and I feel like that I in some of the ones that I looked at, they organized themselves. Mm. So it was a group of like-minded individuals who came together and they said, look at us, we're, we're people who suffered with same-sex attraction and now we're living great normal lives and we're going to teach the younger, we're going to, you know, what do they call it, minister the younger youth and explain to them that homosexuality is a sin and it can oh be avoided. God. How young... So between the ages of 13 and 18 oh was, was considered um, normal to send someone off to conversion therapy. There's, there's actually like there's two really good films about this. There's The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is a fantastic film starring uh, Chloe Moritz and Chloe Grace Moritz, whatever her name is. And um, that's about a young girl who goes off to conversion therapy not that long ago. And... There's a new one out at the moment called Boy Raised. Mm. I haven't seen it yet, but it's apparently fantastic. Um, but it's like you see it, you know, you hear about it quite frequently. It's very popular within like ev evangelists, Pentecostals, Mormon churches. So it's very like it's and it's still legal in 41 states. 41. So my God. Yeah, there's only there's, there's only um, what's that? Nine states who have made it illegal. Yeah. And would it and made it illegal for minors. It's still like in those forty-one states. It's still legal to send your child off to have them converted. It would have taken that child though to have gone to their parents and said, ha "Have outed themselves." Do you know? Yeah, like I think some. It depends on the circumstances. I mean, if if they're suspected of it, you know, they could be sent off. If they're caught doing something, if they're caught with, you know, if their browser history is checked, whatever. Like you know, if they're there's any suspicion that they're gay i think they're pretty much carted off to carted off to this christian camp <sighs> for and these God. things are like for like literally like systematic like brainwashing and like just delivering self-hatred and shame yeah. into these kids and now there it there is like huge huge protests against them and like obviously it's a massive grievance of the lgbt community in the states and obviously it's not just in the states i'm sure it's elsewhere in the world but it's quite prominent in the states and it's gained a lot of attention especially there was a 2014 case where a young uh trans girl uh died by suicide after attending mm. a conversion camp and in her letter wrote that she like she she just drew the connection between the two and she said that she hopes that no other child has ever subjected to what she was subjected to in the camp it is complete and utter brainwashing right um so one prominent conversion therapist is david matheson matheson whatever um, he's actually he's a published author and he has written a book called Becoming a Whole Man and in it it's that book is about Another his own porno. I know <laughs> that book is about his six year long journey kind of of conversion or his path to like ministering about conversion its description on Amazon says David Matheson began counseling men with unwanted homosexuality in 1996. He's practiced in Los Angeles, the New York City area and Salt Lake City. 
His experiences provide him with a deep working knowledge of the range of concerns facing men with unwanted homosexuality and an, uh, and an appreciation for the cultural, religious and racial diversity within the community of men with same-sex attraction. David co-created the journey into manhood and journey beyond experiential weekends. He and his wife, Peggy, of over 30 years, have three adult children and one grandchild. Um, so, obviously, I went on to the journey into manhood website which was a treat like and well, like you couldn't if you were going to parody this it would be that like you would write a website like this so they describe themselves as a peer-led experiential weekend of self-discovery brotherhood personal growth and inner healing work it is designed especially for men to address incongruous same-sex attractions or distress over ssa in other words, feelings or attractions that are out of alignment with a man's faith, values, morals, self-identity or life goals. But journey into manhood is also appropriate for any man, regardless of his sexuality, who wants to address unresolved issues around men and masculinity in a safe, supportive yet challenging group environment. I feel like they camp and shit, you know. Um, so they describe themselves as an international interfaith fellowship, primarily of men from homosexual or bisexual backgrounds who, for their own deeply personal reasons, do not accept their identity and do not identify with the label gay and prefer to instead address their underlying issues and embrace their authentic masculinity. So this is a common theme. And there's actually been a really, really good um, Guardian uh, kind of undercover piece about going to one of these conversion camps and one of the things that constantly arises is that they believe that there's a causational link in your childhood to homosexuality and they sort of enforce people to bring up situations and memories that could it's like Scientology that yeah it's like, they it's do like that as well that they they convince they them or they try to convince people that there's thing. elements of abuse mm. and either it's mm. and they, and they say things like you either you're mollycoddled by your mother or you weren't loved enough or whatever like they find they find reasons where there are none and they just try to convince people obviously deeply fucking offensive um but sorry one of the best parts about this story and it's not like it's obviously i'm i'm we're lightly touching on this story because it's just funny that this man has come out but there has been a lot of people who have like renounced who've been really really involved and have come out years later and said i'm really really fucking sorry that was a terrible thing to do so like it, it does seem like there's a turning of the tide now for these um these conversion camps and it like there is huge uproar about them there's huge protests about them obama in 2015 said that there should be a you know a nationwide ban on them who the fuck knows what donald trump was going to do given his trans military ban he'll probably fund them but um the the i think it's like 70 percent of the american population agree with them being just completely banned who's mm. profiting well they're private organizations so the ministers themselves. Yeah, it's presumably. I mean, I don't know what kind of costs are involved in this, but like, you know, they exist. People, definitely people are making money off them anyway. So what prompted this guy? But I don't think the, I don't think the motivation is money. I think if you're a suppressed gay man in a community mm. where there are other suppressed gay men, and you all go off camping for a week, I don't know, like I've seen Brokeback Mountain, you've seen Brokeback Mountain. I didn't want to say it, but it does sound like... It does sound like there's a hell of a lot of this is like when um they announced the all female team for the Mars mission. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nobody remember this. No. 
just that they were like, oh, we'll have to get around the kind of problem of like the astronauts having sex um, during the mission and stuff. And they just like, you know, they, in the press release, they had like this crew, this all female crew that had been selected and like they couldn't possibly it was just fucking hilarious on Twitter yeah. there was just like just every person was like well uh like what's the guys? issue with having sex in space oh infants in space oh sorry yeah right. imagine um, so, but one of the funnest parts about this is that the website doesn't have an FAQ section. It has a section called, why is there so much online criticism of your organization and journeying into manhood? And they answer such questions as, oh, they answer loads of different questions, but like they came up with an answer for that. And it was like, first, notice who's doing the criticizing. Almost no one who has ever actually been through the Journey into Manhood program has ever publicly criticized it or publicly criticized our community. We are aware of maybe six or eight exceptions out of more than 2,800 men from 47 nations and 49 US states who have experienced our Journey into Manhood weekend since 2002. So anyway, this week, David Matson posted this huge Facebook post coming out of the closet and basically saying that a year ago he realized he had to make substantial changes in his life. I couldn't stay in my marriage any longer and I realized that it was for time for me to affirm myself as gay. And he goes on to say how he like he's just it's just so bizarre. Does he apologize? He no, he actually says he does not regret his the work that he did with his community, but he does acknowledge that that kind of therapy is wrong and difficult for young people. But, yeah. He talks about his own internalized homophobia. He says that um, he was married to his wife for over 35 years. And oh he said, it, overall, it was a beautiful relationship. And being straight, which he said in quotation marks, became a core part of my identity. But I also experienced attractions to men. Much of the time, these were in the background, but sometimes they were very intense and led to pain and struggle in my marriage. Still, the marriage truly did work for us both, and I don't regret it. But things started to change a few years ago. Our personality differences became very pronounced. The relationship dynamic became strange and a bit difficult. Things gradually turned. Um, and then he basically goes on to say that he just wants to be with a man, and he's trying to find a man now. And... That brought me on to this long list of other gay conversion therapists, which there just there's so many. Like it's just it's never ending. So that guy John Polk, who was in the massive campaign, also gay. Surprisingly, wasn't his wife gay as well? Weren't they a gay couple who were married to each other? Oh, perhaps I didn't even think to go into the women because it was just so male focused and everything that I was researching. I'm nearly positive that couple were. But probably, absolutely mm. probably. Um, Gunter Bam, who uh, he actually now runs an organization to help religious people accept their sexuality. Gunter Bam. Bam. Sounds like a. Ointment for your <laughs> nether regions. Um, and then there was a great one of like someone literally, uh, where is he? So John, pa John Polk, that guy was outed when he was leading a conference on like, he was leading a conference called Focus on the Family in 
Washington in September 2000 and while there spotted in a gay bar (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's brilliant like I mean it just completely it's not like obviously it's not funny and I'm not laughing at people's suppressed homosexuality but I'm just joyous that the things like this whole conversion therapy is just underpinned by hypocrites that are very easily well, I mean, I would argue that they were preying on people and I'm sure there was a financial kickback. There's definitely a financial kickback, I'd say. And, and then they come out as gay and realise, oh, everything's, you know, I, but what about all the damage they, they have done up to this point? Yeah, but like, there is... Is there no accountability for that? Oh, no, there absolutely has to be accountability, but I think it comes from, there's, you know, we're looking at a handful or a couple of dozen people who are involved in what's a systemic organizational thing like it's definitely Mm. coming from it's coming from the teachings of these fundamentalist christian societies Mm. you know and then there's these independent people who are obviously struggling with those feelings and starting their organizations and then later coming out and being like actually you know being gay isn't a choice or whatever it's not something they're turning against their churches basically so it's it's as problematic as fundamentalist Mm. christian teachings are you know so depressing but it so is very much kind of like with him with that guy particularly like and he's he's at the conference like and he's a kind of a leading light in this area and then like to be caught out in the gay bar you're very much kind of like you had like one job yeah at this convention like just like but that's you think all i'm thinking there i mean the moral of the story is that this whole process is painful for everyone involved that yeah. the people who are leading it are also in pain in pain and they're suppressing Mm. their homosexuality and maybe it's becoming this like self-fulfilling kind of or just this this circle of people going through therapy leading the therapy but i just think that so this incident this now being another who's the most prominent gay ex-gay minister in america at the moment coming out just it's just like it blows it all out of the water it's like do you not see this like how can it still go on you know I don't know. Obviously, they... Yeah, I don't know. It's really sad. It's really, really sad. That's America for you. Well, it's really sad because it's trying to... People trying to assert their identity in, like, just, you know, a system that hates them. Mm-hmm. And it takes so much, really, courage, like, and, you know, and support from wherever you can get that support to make that those journeys sometimes. So if you're coming up against something that's already it's going to latch onto your internalized homophobia that you have got because you're growing up in a repressed you're going to be all over it's going to feel like your only choice your only option redemption yeah it's gross i can't believe you sold that as a lighter one i am like but i mean it's not someone didn't fucking i'm sorry not lighter (laughs) but like i mean i wasn't reading about people dying and i didn't see photos of any corpses this week so that for me was a little bit there was a lot of just words a lot of just text (laughs) thanks it's nice you know (laughs) well it was nice (laughs) because it's change i just think i don't think it's funny to clarify i don't think it's light (laughs) i just think it's like it's so idiotic. It's almost humoring. Like, you're like, how can something this stupid actually exist? And continue to exist. But it, I don't, it's obviously, I don't think it's going to continue for much longer. There are like active campaigns to have them banned. And it's only been in recent times that they were banned in nine states. So it'll have to continue. And depending on who's fucking president. In control of the government. We'll see. 
Thank you, Cassie. Thank you, Cassie. You're welcome. That's good. I don't feel sick. I feel sad. But I not feel sick. sad, but not sick. Cool. <laughs> Who wants to go next, Sophs? Okay. I don't, mine's not going to inspire nausea. Mine might. Yeah, I sense it. I'm quite excited about yours. Well, we like. Will we build up to yours? Do you mind? Yeah. Let's are you ready to be the headline oh, yeah. act? Sorry, are, are you are you are you the are you gonna amuse the bouche now? Yeah, I'm gonna be the meat in the sandwich, and then you're gonna be the other sliced bread. But I'm gonna be like a meat paste, pate, 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 no. and a cracker, and then there's no top. <laughs> I'll be the garnish on top. What do you have you for know us that, this like week? jelly layer? Okay, so I have that time the angel of death came to Dungarvan. So after the outpouring of responses to my local uh hoaxers did you get an outpour <laughs> nobody's poured over anything Are oh i heard feedback it's because your accounts your instagram's on private right do i need to open it it's just you pictures of my children yeah, don't, yeah why would anybody need to see that because people can't contact you i don't know if i did they gonna start giving out to me very ah. possibly <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, I people like I like the local angle. Okay, it's just me. I fe- fed back to myself and said, "Sophie, staying local is kind of fun." So yeah, it is. I thought, and also, now this story was handed to me on a platter that of an email. That is an email from a listener. So hat tip to award-winning investigative journalist Ellen Coyne, who a para enjoys the creep dive and she got on no way me. yeah i like have a career crush on ellen Coyne, as you should because she's phenomenal and uh anyway this is so great this likely. is like one of those things where i'm like someone that i admire professionally who doesn't know i exist now knows i exist there thank you, you. well let's not have heard those words yeah let's not get ahead of ourselves here she's a very very good investigative journalist but it mm. she Look, she might have just been blowing smoke up your arse. Maybe she just pretended she listened. Uh, no, no, no. She referred to specifics, I'm very certain. Oh. Did Excellent. she? You're in, Kat. <laughs> you are in. Follow me. <laughs> I will follow you. Give Cassie a follow, Ellen. Please. I'll, let's make this happen for Cassie. If she follows you, screen grab it, please, and put it on the Creep Dive Instagram. Which we have now. Okay, getting <laughs> sidetracked. Okay, so she suggested that I do a little digging on this story. And what I came up with was creep dive freaking juice. Okay, so let's, I'm going to take you back in the way, way back machine to September 1995. Okay, so I'll return to my original question. What do JFK, Princess Diana, the Angel of Death and Dungarvan have in common? A hotel? An Irish priest <gasps> called Father Michael Kennedy. Okay. It's funny how religion can so often be at the center of a creepy story, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what is it with that? So, Father Michael Kennedy was... Uh, Kennedy. He was third cousin to Bobby and John, JFK. Um, and he even, a para, presided over the deathbed of their mother. And, I mean, is there anything Irish people love more than a freaking Kennedy connection? No. 
they eat that shit up. So, as such, Father Kennedy was like pretty big deal in Dungarvan in the mid 90s. Very attractive. Father Trendy, you might say? No, no, Father Chiseled. Ooh. Like he, li- he actually does look a bit like a Kennedy. Um, well, he, he is. He is one. And the women of the town, and I have this from an actual source, a witness. The women of the town were very taken with him. He, was, he had a charisma. Gagging. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess he was basically the, the priest in Ballykiss Angel. That's the exact image. Yeah, that was totally. And he was like, uh, he had been a hurling champion and things like that. And like, mm, yeah. So and was he, he the, Irish? He had the kind of waspy good looks of the Kennedy. Yeah, so he... He, he, he is he, Irish. He presumably li- spent most of his life living in Dungarvan. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He was Irish. And although he had like been like in... Where the fuck are they like Martha's Vineyard sometimes the Kennedys kinda hanging out up there? He'd been around, like he had a little like real cachet in the town and stuff. They've got houses all over the place. They but do. like the coast. He Cape holidayed Cod in Spain with the and all that kind of stuff. Very American places, yeah. Yes, totally. Um they he definitely did holiday with them in Spain at one point, as we shall see. The glamour. He was also like he was a Leinster final winning hurler for Offaly. Uh, he had been involved in Sinn Féin as a counsellor. Apparently he was a pole-topping counsellor. So he was the priest in Dungarvan, which is, oh jeez, I've completely blanked. County? Ooh. Waterford. Yeah. So anyway, he one Sunday, September 10th, 10-11, um, a different disaster. Was he not fucking busy of a Sunday? He was. He was busy giving the sermon. Oh, well, sorry, what year? 1995. Okay. So he was giving the sermon from the pulpit. And he was actually telling, if anyone had been paying attention, quite an extraordinary story about a local woman, English woman. Dirty bitch. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. who was riding all around her and maliciously infecting the men of Dungarvan with AIDS. What? what? A factual story he was telling or a kind of a warning story <laughs> about sex? Well, a libelous story. He told his stunned congregation that a local woman who was infected with the virus had deliberately and knowingly slept with up to... Are we ready for this figure? 80 men. Right. In did a locale. Did he name her? With the express intention of spreading the disease and that at least five men, and he said this, at the pulpit were already testing positive. He did not name her. Now, things might have just trundled on father kennedy we all know a sermon you know it's not like who was really there even like i yeah like i was trying to tell it to seb i was trying to explain kind of the whole setup and he was like what's the sermon bit and i was like oh it's just like this bit you're kind of tune it out it's all about like hate yourselves you're going to hell it's story time it's kind of story it's kind of like plan what you're doing for the rest of the daytime and think about dinner yeah so it might have slipped 
on through the net, except a journalist from the Cork Examiner happened to be in the congregation, John Murphy. And John Murphy was paying attention and instantly realised that this could be a freaking massive story. Uh, here's a quote from John Murphy. It was sensational. He was saying, in effect, that a killer was on the loose. <laughs> so, things blew the shit up. Like, within the next day, there were British tabloids uh, baying for the identity of the woman whom they had dubbed the Angel of Death. Jesus. There was 10 grand sterling up for grabs for anyone who could identify her. There was apparently local doctors inundated with people seeking AIDS tests. Who were they having it off with? Well, that's the other thing. I read in another article that uh, a representative from the Eastern Health Board actually said that it completely hurt their cause um, because they believed that attendance at the sexually transmitted disease clinics in the area actually fell off after the sermon. But they wouldn't want to be seen there. Well, yeah. Because people were reluctant to go. Who the hell is this woman? So there was Sky News had pitched up in the town square. <laughs> RTE were down there round the clock. It was like piranhas had descended on Looking Dungarvan. Looking for a loose woman. Looking for a loose woman. Quizzing the priest because it's quite a story. But he was... He was sticking to it, but he couldn't keep the facts straight, really. Yeah, but wait, he could have been hearing this from the confessional box. That's what he claimed, that he'd heard it um, and that, you know, obviously it would be uh, violating the kind of the the sanctity of that confessional right, box. Am I wrong to say, right, if you confess something to a priest in that, in confession, that legally... They're not obliged to report it or... You are wrong. I'm wrong. Right, never mind. I'm pretty sure that like legals and God stuff, they, they don't... There's no they respect don't have the thing. same weight. What about like your doctor? But I know doctor. that your, your doctor, that's different. Right. But your doctor does have to report it if he believes people are in danger. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, so... Um, so Back to our source, Ellen Coyne. She's actually from Dungarvan. Now, she was like a child when this all kicked off. But I got onto another friend who was in her teens who was present at that sermon. Fucking brilliant. Some excellent primary research. Thank you very much. She was like, I was about 12 or 13, but even I thought it was kind of mad. We went home and I remember telling my father and everything. But I did, I did really believe it. I mean, we all thought he was a bit mad, she says. All the women in town loved him. He had this charisma that would make you believe anything he said. She remembers cycling through town to go to school and there'd be cameras in the square, RTE and international media, everything. <laughs> she says it really is, well, this was her take on it. She felt it really was the kind of story only a priest would believe because they're so out of touch with how people conduct their sex lives. Ah, okay. That, like, she kind of felt it was almost a kind of a naivety on his part that he would believe the men of Dungarvan yes. were, like, all up for it. 
80 of them having sex with the one woman. Were there even 80 kind of kind of eligible men? Aged men. She was like the men of Dungarvan, like you just couldn't see it. You just wouldn't get away with it in a town like that. She says the Kennedy connection made him glamorous, but he was basically a fantasist. So skeptical skepticism now was kind of rolling in after the initial frenzy of like brilliant we have ourselves a story so um like the medical officer with the south southeastern health board um said that the board had not recorded any increase in men being treated for aids end of and like that's quite a sizable increase for rural ireland in the mid 90s like five He's five positive tests okay so then um oh this is when things actually got really quite shitty two women were basically fingered <laughs> no oh my god terrible choice of language sorry there. sorry <laughs> two women were under suspicion and one of them in particular got like really badly treated in the wake of this. So she fit one of the descriptions. Now, I think that Father Kennedy's account was shifting from telling to telling. So um, one piece from the Irish Times by Catherine Cleary, who that was published six months after, says that this woman still lived in Dungarvan and she fit one of the descriptions offered by Father Kennedy. She was petite, dark-skinned, with a hint of red colouring in her auburn hair. Um. Everything fit except her age. So Father Kennedy said the woman was in her 20s. Um, but this woman had a teenage son. And um, like she just said she'd never met the curate. Like that mm. she didn't believe the woman existed. And that she'd had people like in the first couple of weeks after his sermon. Like shouting at her when she went out. Um, yeah, like one landlord in another pub barred her. And then... This guy was trying to buy her a drink in a different pub and his friend told him to break the glass that she had been drinking from. A pariah, basically. I mean, Aww. so that's a mess. So, despite all the scepticism surrounding um, the whole incident, one of the townspeople gave an interesting quote on it um, to Catherine Cleary of the Irish Times for that piece. He says, put it like this. It was a good sermon. After that, I don't know. So far, the story is the only thing that has died here. I guess meaning that like, there's no What about the evidence. five people that were... So, I'll come back to that. But six months later, someone did die in Dungarvan. Okay? So, and... Like, unsurprisingly, Father Kennedy was at the centre of it. So, it was all around town. The place was a buzz that he had saved a woman's life. So, this was six months after the sermon where he'd actually kind of ruined a woman's life for a few weeks there. Okay. And um, so, apparently, he made a late night call to an elderly woman. And when there was no reply at her door, he called the guardie. They broke in and found her collapsed on the floor with hypothermia. However, as with quite a few things around Father Kennedy, certain things didn't hold up under closer examination. The story of the dead woman didn't make the papers, but most people around town had heard of it. 
the Gardaí in Dungarvan have no record of it. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen, according to the townspeople. So they're kind of supporting him there. But basically, it seems like he just couldn't get off the lying train. So, he sorry, just invented to... Go on. That bit of... There was no woman. Well, like, it doesn't sound like there's a woman. Like, but how is he... There's no record of it. And how is he conveying these stories? These, is this another sermon that he told? This like, was Or is just he just, like, he's just tittle-tattling and telling people around the town that he found a dead woman? According to this article in the Irish Times, it seemed that it was just kind of being, like, word on the street was this. You know? So, he's actually been on, like, his messing has kind of continued. Um, so in answer to your question about any of the men, there was an article in the Irish Independent in the early 2000s that kind of revisited the story. And it was written by a journalist called Maeve Sheehan, who did attend that week of the frenzy. And so she witnessed some things. Um, so he, she witnessed Father Kennedy trying to hold his shit together in the aftermath of that original sermon. Okay, and she basically says that he like tried to maintain a kind of a facade of silence, but he kind of frequently broke it with kind of confusing and contradictory uh, stories, you know. And so everyone was demanding details. Like she says, she described how um, he she visited him at his house and he like was extremely stressed. There was like reporters all around the front of his house and he was kind of holed up in there. And um, so he told how an 18-year-old had confided in him that he had tested HIV positive. And this 18-year-old was kind of origin of the angel of death, English woman maliciously spreading AIDS in rural Ireland. How um, did he get the 80 men? Where number? did that come from? Who knows? Um, so everyone, as I said, was very sceptical. And the pressure was kind of really mounting on Father Kennedy. And so four weeks after the sermon, it seems that he kind of, I mean, I don't want to say conjured up one of the victims, <laughs> but he had a young man who was um, willing to be interviewed in Father Kennedy's presence. And so... The interview took place early one Saturday morning and the man who was known only by his, his first name, Justin, sat in Father Kennedy's living room. He was in his late teens. He was nervy and smoking cigarette after cigarette. Father Kennedy stood for the entire interview, kind of overseeing and occasionally interjecting. And um, there was, I mean, the kind of bit of small talk kind of before... The interview just included like little kind of basic questions like, oh, what are you studying, Justin? Father Kennedy, don't answer that. Very much controlling every aspect of this Could interview. I, yeah. Had Justin tested positive? I mean, we've no idea who Justin was. Okay. Or if he definitely had the virus was, or not. Were they suggesting that he was? He was saying, yes, I've tested positive. Okay. But and he, is he the person, has he identified himself as the origin of the story? He has, but I mean, he's identified. It seems like he's done that under duress. Yeah, in but a way, is he the same guy? Like, is he the guy that confessed to him? In yeah, confession. 
he's a guy who's come forward and said he's willing to be interviewed. Yeah. But is he the same guy who's, who Father Kennedy has said confessed to him? Mm. Well, we're going on Father Kennedy there. My theory is that he needed to get the media office back. Yeah. And he needed to produce someone to corroborate. This is conjecture. This is not substantiated. But I feel that he hired a boy. <laughs> and this well, guy. Well, that's the first thought you have. Did he, was he photographed and. No. No. I mean, I don't believe he was ever seen or heard from again. From my, in what I've found on it. You know. So what became of it? Like, there's one doctor who said that um, right up until his retirement, he had found not a shred of evidence to support claims that five young men in Munster had tested HIV positive. Like, there was a lot of people with a lot of clout. What was he doing? Who were saying, this ain't happening. Can I tell you the Princess Diana connection? Yeah, I was going to ask. Okay, so um, he killed her. Father Kennedy had. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us, Princess Di- Father Kennedy told everyone Princess Ken- Princess Diana died of AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was the woman. She, she of course, an English woman. This is it. Now it's getting dangerous. Now we're getting libelous. Okay, so um, <laughs> this is according to an article in the Irish Indo. So basically, Father Kennedy, unsurprisingly, with his Kennedy good looks. And his charm and his charisma continued to attract publicity, possibly the kind of publicity that his superiors were now starting to get a little bit impatient with. So he came out two years after the sermon on the occasion of Princess Diana's death. So we're talking like 1997 here. And related to his parishioners in once again in a rousing sermon, about how Princess Diana had actually telephoned him, quote, out of the blue, in the middle of the, and I think this is his words, Dungarvan AIDS siege, (laughs) which is what he thought he was experiencing. What? And had she? Quote, she rang me during the AIDS controversy. Her call came out of the blue late one night. Father Kennedy was reported as saying she emphasized, sorry, she empathized with the way I was being hounded as she saw it. She said, I live my life being hounded as well. Don't let that part of the media destroy your life. She had an interest in AIDS and was trying to take away the stigma. Her words helped and comforted me. I was delighted she took the time out to call me. Wow, Father. Did she? Did she? Did she? Does she know about Dungarvan? Um, I mean, I know that we're on... A, this is like a creep dive that's diving on and on, but the following year, he just punched an 80-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Batshit. <laughs> this man is crazy. <laughs> like, there's no it. reasoning. Why would he say Princess Diana called him? <laughs> just like, just very topically after her death. Look, you're up there on stage every Sunday. And why would he? Why <laughs> would give he, them a show? And he's actually, he's literally drawing connections between all of his lies. Well, he's like, AIDS, Princess Diana was on my side <laughs> with the AIDS thing. She's all into AIDS. <laughs> 
She hates AIDS too. <laughs> she believed me. I love the way he like was completely victimized by the Dungarvan AIDS siege oh, yeah. of his making. Um, so yeah, the incident with the 80 year old um, was apparently a case of road rage. The reports around it are like not very exhaustive. However, there is a quote from Bishop William Lee, who's the Bishop of Waterford and Lismore, referring to the incident. So I think we can be confident this took place. And he just quote, he just said, quote, I know that Father Kennedy is genuinely sorry for the incident. <laughs> God, I need to Decking an eight-year-old. And we've just all wanted to. <laughs> no, Jen. And it's so mad because he like... Like he, what in te- he attended like Kennedy marriages and deaths and everything. Like he is that part is real. That's the problem. That's the problem. He was so peripheral. Ha- he was so high on his Kennedyness that he couldn't operate in the real world. Just got back to Waterford, to nothingness, and his lovely but small parish, and it just wasn't enough. But they were happy to idealize him until he started all that bullshit. A final word, like he was up in the high court. Like for this incident with the old in 2012. And it's I think it was a civil suit. So I could not find decent details on what it was. So annoying. I can see that it was him. He made an appearance in the high court. It was a civil case. And I know that that bishop that spoke, uh, Bishop William Lee, that he was present as well, but could not freaking find any details about that particular bit of juice. But I think that they have just had a fucking headache for a decade trying to keep a lid on this guy. give it a rest. And he is is now, sorry to just round us off, he is now, um, he'd been moved parish, which is an old trick of theirs. (laughs) Um, And... He seems to be living under a, a kind of a bridge, a strange, a strange situation. So it was kind of described that he was under the kind of charge of the kind of bosses in his diocese and the Gardaí. Yeah, so I read that in two different reports in the Irish Times and in the Sunday Times. There's got to be more to that. Not the Sunday Times, sorry, the Irish Sunday Times. Whatever it is, they have now done an excellent job of um, cleaning up the mess because I couldn't, I really went deep. As you can see, I went Do deep, you think but I could not find it. And that's that instant that he has him under the attention, the care of the guardian or whatever, that's definitely not the punching the elderly woman. Well, it's just that the timeline's really weird. So... The elderly punch was 1998. And then the first kind of high court appearance seems to have been 2005. Seems to be. This is what I'm gathering. And then there's been a second appearance in 2012. But I can't, like, I have no idea. They could well be still a, a part of, like, I know that a parishioner wrote a letter um, to the bishop um, kind of making a formal complaint about misconduct. Conduct. Mm. And I don't know, there there was a mention in that piece about him being on holidays in Spain with um, Bobby Kennedy's widow. <laughs> oh, after the f- after the initial holiday in Spain? 
I honestly don't know. I don't know. It did get, it got murky towards yeah. the end and I Fascinating couldn't. Fascinating that you couldn't find it. And I had really it. good sources on everything, but then it just, it was like the dropped It off. was like the trail went cold. Oh, that's, that's very annoying. But I a know. great, great story. Thank you. Thank I'm loving you the local stories. So much. We're like, can I shout out my sources briefly? Because there was some excellent, excellent work on this. So Maeve Sheehan for the Irish Independent. A piece by Catherine Cleary in the Irish Times and a really good piece that is worth the paywall that was written two years ago in the Irish Sunday Irish Sunday Times. How do you describe that one again? The Irish edition of the Sunday Times. Thank isn't it? you. And that was by Justine McCarthy. And thank you so much to avid creep dive listener and award-winning investigative journalist herself. And our new, hero. And, and new friend. And Cassie's new friend. New friend. New friend. Ellen Coyne. We wouldn't go that far. Cast. It's happening. That was fun. Well done. That was a great story. Very quickly moving. I've never been. Hashtag notes onto my lap here. Hashtag notes. I don't know why you remember this story. You're a little bit older. Uh, Cass? Go on, give me a year. Let's see now. The incident took place. I know that's my old story. I've never been more excited about face ripping off. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm glad I committed that to audio recording because I feel that could be good in a later criminal case against me. Yeah, that was scary. <laughs> Sorry here. Can't find my bloody notes. Oh. Did a did a, a primate eat your homework and your face? <laughs> part of me wants to be sensitive because the victim in this story is still alive. Part of me wants to be sensitive. <laughs> I am being sent. You know, she's obviously she's. I, I doubt she's listening, but uh, she might be. Alan Coyne's listening. Well, then anybody could be listening. So hang on, give me a sec here. Where did my bloody thing go? My mum, while you're looking for your hashtag notes, my mum told me to check uh, with Ellen Coyne that she wouldn't mind oh, being go. mentioned on the creep dive. Oh yeah. Why? Because uh, this is lowbrow investigative journalism yeah. at right, a okay. push. No, no, well, if she's the one who could contact you. At an absolute push. I love how my mother's never even listened to the creep dive, never plans to, but still knows it's shit. Ah, <laughs> Mary. This is like an audiobook of Wikipedia. <laughs> with director's commentary. It's brilliant. Here, come back. Right, are you ready? Oh, we're in. So this incident took place in 1995. Ooh. Cassie, it's before you were born. Same year as Sophie, Father Kennedy. Yeah. This. I was uh, 10. I presume you were an avid Oprah Winfrey watcher at 10 years old. Because I was. <sighs> Oprah raised me. Yeah. Me too. So uh, I remember this story from being on Oprah. Well, it was actually the victim in this story ended up on Oprah for what was the big reveal, which was... The revealing of her face it was actually a fucking horrible concept and a really bloody awful show it was just really sensationalist sad and miserable but anyway the so how what <laughs> happened to this woman i hear you ask i need more i need to know what start like what, what happened to start? this woman so in 1995 travis <laughs> was born I, that wasn't the year of the incident. This is the year that the primate was born. Travis was born in Missouri, right? <laughs> he was born at Mike and Connie Braun's compound. Uh, 
currently named Missouri Chimpanzee Sanctuary. Right. So we're talking about a chimp, a chimpanzee. And if you Google a picture of Travis, he's a beast. <laughs> Not what well, you'd usually assume chimpanzees to be really nice and cute, like that little that little one in um, the wild thornberries. Well, sure, they start out that way, like a little baby monkey, and everyone's delighted with them. And this Travis had been reared from the day he was born in captivity by a human family. So for all intents and purposes, you think he's just a hairy baby. That's what I was going to say. I love when they put the nappies on Lash a nappy on him and away they go. So this couple had children and the the primate would play, Travis would play with their children. Uh, So I was going to say, he was adopted officially by the family when he was three days. Well, anyway, they raised him from age three days old. And uh, he was raised in their family home. So he, this primate, yes. (laughs) Did he have a little bed or anything in there? Yeah, he sleep in the room. Uh, I think it says further down here that he slept in the bed with them up to a certain point. Here we go. So uh, let me see now. So Travis was the mother of the family's constant companion and would often accompany her to work on shopping excursions into town. So they became sort of a like they obviously had a chimpanzee sanctuary, but this this is one the one chimp that they had around and everybody knew them. Okay, Obviously. so Clint Eastwood made a movie like this. It would have been around this time, so No, no, Every Which Way But Loose. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was in the 70s. Okay, okay. But basically, so this, this family kind of thought they were living in a kind of a sitcom situation. Well, they were, because the Heralds owned a towing company, and Travis would pose for photographs at the shop and ride the tow truck. <laughs> His seatbelt buckled. He wore a baseball cap. Oh this is all sounding like the film. So Travis, he was well-known, and... Uh, had been known to greet police officers, blah, 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 as they encountered him. So he's kind of like a celebrity. <laughs> I love the way you're blah, blah, blah. Well, he was a celebrity Some of the of most the interesting town. sections. Okay, so. He had been known to greet police officers. He's a chimp. He, wearing, it gets a baseball wearing a baseball cap. cap and worse. a nappy. It gets weirder. So having grown up among people, Travis had been socialized to humans since birth. And a neighbor said he used to play around and wrestle with the monkey as a child. Is it monkey or primate? I'm sure there's a politically correct issue there. Uh, he <laughs> added that the animal... Well, monkeys are primates, but not all primates are monkeys. Correct. Would that be accurate? Okay. I think so. I just Googled chimpanzee and found a picture of a chimpanzee smoking in North Korea. You see, <laughs> they're literally up to all sorts. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so apparently, according to his neighbor, which is, it's just, he listened better than my nephews, the late the neighbor remarked, that Travis... The fact, okay, this is just giving up the goat, but here, the fact he says that Travis mauled Nash, he just said, I just don't know, I can't see why he would ever do that. Anyway, this story get, goes on, so I'll just, basically what happened Take was... Take us there. You, you do remember, I'm sure everyone remembers who's listening, that this primate mauled the best friend of the mother, the owner of the monkey. He didn't just maul her, he ripped her face off oh my god not only that he took her fucking hands oh <gasps> what ha like yeah travis what the fuck? so wtf travis travis could do a lot of shit according okay. to this travis could open doors using keys he could dress himself he could water the plants 
<laughs> he fed hay to the owner's horses. He ate at a table with the rest of the family. He drank wine from a stemmed glass. <laughs> that's, not fuck, that's not even a lie. There's a picture of him doing that. Oh my God. So people were becoming confused now. Like the hairy baby. looking like one thing. He was behaving in one way. So expectations start to get skewed. Oh, People God. Start, to, start to drop their barrier. This is no longer a wild animal. This is just Travis from next door. <laughs> <laughs> what a very accepting community. <laughs> like he'd been there. Like, okay, look, I'm trying to work out what age he would have. Okay, sorry. Let me just go back here. Born in 95. Incident. The incident. Sorry, Sophs. I was wrong in my date. Was 2009. Somebody wow. do a bit of math. 14, 14 years. So he was 14. He was just your absolute average 14-year-old. <laughs> um, <laughs> just your average, slightly moody, moody pubescent teenager. Isn't That's this? so Travis. He was so fond of ice cream that he learned the schedule of passing ice cream trucks. Wait for this. He logged onto the computer to look at pictures. <laughs> he watched television using a remote control. Brushed his teeth. He'd I'm sorry, crying. I don't even think I can say this out loud. Travis had also driven a car on several <laughs> <days>. <laughs> uh, No. I'm still laughing because monkeys don't need clothes. And he <laughs> could dress himself. <laughs> All right. Well, so you can see there's kind of a backlog of love and affection for this guy. Yeah. Monkey. Primate. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this after the major incident in 2009 it became an international news story obviously and after th- and there was this kind of rhetoric after that nobody had ever suspected Travis could be capable of such a horrific <laughs> or which it was Travis is not like other chimpanzees <laughs> <laughs> that's what was fucking going on so until you dug a little deeper and there was a few incidences had happened. Inciting incidents. Inci- uh, yeah. Right. In- that's what I was going for. <laughs> Can I ask about on the 2009 one? Yeah. When he went for the mother's best friend, was there anything like different? Had something happened that he was disturbed? Like, is there anything around that that kind of Look, explains why it suddenly happened? Well, I'm not going to tell you, because okay. I wanna te- but I will tell you it did involve a Tickle Me Elmo. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. Are right. you now making it up? Now we're going back to the beginning. Okay. Where the incidents, the rumble, right? Okay. Right. So here we go. So in 2003, for instance. Six uh, years pre-incident. Six years, exactly. Travis escaped from the Herald's car. He <laughs> was he driving it at the time? <laughs> Hold on now. Held up a busy intersection. He was on the loose for several hours. <gasps> the incident began after a pedestrian threw something at the car that went through a partially open window, <gasps> struck Travis <gasps> while they were stopped at traffic lights. Startled, Travis unbuckled his seatbelt, <laughs> opened the car door and chased the man. <laughs> but he didn't catch him. So when, so the police arrived, obviously. And uh, they were managed to lure Travis into the car, <laughs> only to have Travis let himself out the other door <laughs> and <laughs> chase the officer around the car. 
Okay, in, in, in everyone's defense, this 2003 incident did lead to the passing of a Connecticut law prohibiting people from keeping primates in or animals weighing more than 50 pounds as pets and requiring owners, blah, 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 exotic pets. So it, they changed the law and we're like... Because this little shit Travis was holding up the traffic. He wasn't little. No. Do but he know, was a kind, shit. What kind of size was he there? That's so that it incident. said, well, it said at the law, well, they ch- more than 50 pounds. So 23 kilos is what the law changed to. So I imagine he was there, thereabouts. What is that now? That My could be like a 10 year old, maybe. Two, yeah. So what age would Travis have been in 2003? He was, he was fully, he fully was, grown. He would have been eight. Born in 95? Yeah, eight. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, doesn't say. Like, oh, say he stop was 40 it kilos. Says, That's it says. Okay. He was 200 pounds. He was 91 kilos. Wow. Oh, my God. That's Seb, like. Sorry. That's your husband, Sophie. Oh, it's, my. It's not much of but a But, like, reach. folded down a little bit. But, like, more compact. Yeah. But yeah. Longer oh, arms. Denser. Muscle. Wow. Holding a stem. Glass of wine. <laughs> And letting himself in and out of cars, <laughs> opening the opening doors with a key. So you, there's confusion here, right? Oh my Across god! Across the board, no one knows what the fuck to do with Travis. <laughs> so they're kind of looking. At, they're like, okay, we still look. They're still kind of suggesting that we don't know. We didn't suspect. It. There was no kind of hint of any wayward activity. He, we didn't suspect. Travis was cool. He just watched his television, logged in and out of the computer, <laughs> to look and at left pictures. everyone else. To look at the pictures. Uh, sorry, you said this very close together. To look at pictures of ice cream or just to <laughs> no, look at pictures. No, you've not been paying attention. No, you said he learned the ice cream route and then he logged into the computer to look at pictures. He made it seem like a conjunction that he was logging in to use the internet to look at pictures of ice cream. How do we know he wasn't? But I want to know what he was looking up on the internet. It doesn't specifically say. Did he come across the smoking chimpanzee in North Korea, I wonder? Probably you just found it in a second. (laughs) (laughs) I just imagine a chimpanzee, like, fully rage puberty on a computer (laughs) googling what am I (laughs) and coming against all these other chimpanzees not wearing clothes (laughs) and thinking they're all nudists yeah what a confusing time for Travis I'm I'm on team Travis well don't don't make yourself too comfortable there okay because I'm just gonna go we're going in for the attack here on February 16, 2009, Travis attacked Sandra Harold, his, his adopted mother's 55-year-old friend, Charla Nash. Now, it's spelt Charla, but I'm thinking it's... Charlie. Charla? Charlie. Charla. Like a soft ch. Charla. I'm focusing on the wrong thing again. Back into the story. He inflicted devastating injuries to her face and limbs. Oh, my God. Like absolute catastrophic not well she's not dead but Travis uh, okay here's what happened Travis had left the house with Sandra his mother car keys in hand his hand apparently Uh, Nash came to get sorry I have to get this straight so Travis took off with the car keys right and that he could drive obviously at this point so so 
Charla came to help Sandra get the car keys back. Right? No. Charla worked helping out on the chimpanzee sanctuary and she was in she like she Travis was familiar with yeah. the chimps. Yeah, and Travis knew her, they were buds. Um, not after this. So Travis had left with the car keys in the house and Nash came to help get the chimp back into the house. Upon seeing Nash holding a tickle me elmo, one of his favourite toys, Travis immediately attacked her. Travis was familiar with Nash, who had also worked at the Harold's Towing Company, although Nash had a different hairstyle at the time of the attack, which may have confused and alarmed the chimp. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right, that's okay. The chimp had been taking medication for Lyme disease. Harold, then 70 years old. I'm not sure why it was important that Lyme... It's just the way... Anyway, Harold <laughs> was the well, medication Lyme for disease, Lyme disease steroids. Or I anything Lyme like that? disease itself has some very <clears throat> weird side effects. Well, there's maybe an argument for anyway psychosis or something. So mm. Harold, his his mother, uh, she was seventy years old then. Attempted to stop Travis by hitting him with a shovel and stabbing him with a butcher's knife. Oh my god! Imagine having to stab your own hairy baby. Oh That's my exactly god! Exactly what she said, Cassie. For me to do something like that. Put a knife in him was like putting one in myself, she said later. Oh, my God. The chimp turned around, she said, and as if to say, Mom, what did you do? <gasps> well, I'm sorry, Travis, but the question is, what the fuck did you do? Because oh the animal God. grew angrier. Now, I, sh- I don't know. So, Harold, the mother... Her Harold is, is her, her second first name. name Harold. No, I okay. can't remember her first name. Called nine one one and pleaded for help. You can hear Travis's screams in the background of the tape as Sandra pleaded. For, Sandra ple- is the her first name. Pleaded for help. Oh God! It's, do you want to hear? Do you have the tape? Well, I can Google it really quickly. Will I? Oh, it's not called the creep dive for nothing. All right. Hang yeah, on. go on. Uh, we're only we're only saving people a few clicks because <laughs> they're gonna go and do it anyway. So what's happening there is that she's the caller on the other line doesn't believe what she's saying, basically, because she's saying a chimp is killing my friend. So anyway, so the police do arrive because they initially thought it was a hoax. So it took them a while to arrive. However, they arrived and. Oh, God, it's dreadful. And uh, so Travis walks up to the police car when it arrived. He tried to open a locked passenger door. He smashed the side mirror, went calmly around to the driver's side, opened it, at which point Officer Frank shot him several times. Uh, So Travis retreated to the house where he's found dead next to his cage. And the emergency crew described Nash's injuries as horrendous. So within 72 hours, Nash underwent more than seven hours of surgery on her face and her hands by four teams of surgeons. The hospitals provided counselling with staff. So God love her. 
Were they able to save her hands? She lost her hands. I don't understand how he ripped off her hands. Mid face bone structure and received significant brain tissue injuries. Oh my God. Uh, So Travis, it sounds like he started to eat her face while (gasps) it was still on her. Oh my God. This just took an awful turn. So, God. So the doctors managed to reattach her jaw. Oh God. She's blind for life. God love her. And the. But the injuries did make her a possible candidate for an experimental face transplant surgery, which she did go on to have. Now, she also um, had hands. Um, uh, sorry. Attached. Prosthesis. Yes. No, no, real donor <coughs> hands. Uh, that did work initially, but sadly, her body then rejected. Oh. Um, now, she is still, she went on to receive this face transplant and uh, it has been a success. But, um, so, and she's still alive to this day. I just want to double check that. Yeah. So in June of 2011, she underwent a transplant surgery performed by a team blah, blah, at the Harvard Teaching Affiliate in Brigham, Brigham and Women's Hospital. God, though, so that was two years later. A donor face and hands. Hands transplant initially successful, but because Nash developed pneumonia shortly thereafter, doctors were forced to remove her n- newly transplanted hands due to infection um so yeah so i mean that's she then appeared on oprah to reveal the before transplant phase it's just dreadful god love her anyway so that's <laughs> sorry that's the story of travis are you googling it i have to google her face I oh have yeah to. she has a transplanted face now um i feel like i feel like i've seen her face because who was it recently that did that huge feature on face transplants was it the ny mag or the new yorker not sure they just they did this massive spread and like multimedia piece on face transplants within the last year it was fascinating Hmm. yeah well have you had a look at her and did you take a look at travis travis is the whole thing was a beefy shit show beefy beefy man a terrible. Oh my God. Well, a lesson for us all. Whoa! I, I think this. it looks incredible. Her face looks incredible. Did you see the before? Yes. There's an NY Mag piece called "To Understand Travis." We need to understand his mother, which I'm going to read as I as God I. God damn it! Fall asleep. Um. So yeah, that. I have. I not given you enough. Should I have made it a large one? I feel conflicted because I didn't want to. I think they were you know, all. Jen, I think that couldn't have been better. That was fantastic. I, I, she's. This it was an emotional roller coaster. I've never laughed so much or been so horrified so by somebody's I ordeal. Deeply, this whole episode has left me with really weird feelings. <laughs> this just this whole this whole because we've gone through real highs and lows here. We have. We have. It's been a journey. I feel like that was very entertaining, but. I feel very sorry for that woman. And also, I just have this, I get this really weird reaction. I know he was a killer chimp, but like whenever I hear a story of an animal being killed, I feel very, very sad. But this a wo- human woman's face was ripped I off. I know, but him being shot and dying by the cage. Like I get really upset if I see an animal hit by a car on the road, you know? It's, I don't know, it's a weird thing. I was listening to his Well, band. I just think they made him live in a scenario that he is not meant to live in 
I mean, you he, guys think, or am I being a bit blamey there? Did no, it sound I think a bit so. like he was sort of living the dream. Well, uh, no, um, I don't think so. I don't think you can raise an animal like that. That he was living the dream and put a pair of shorts and a baseball cap on him, and yeah, he had expected like to all be okay. Yeah, that so was exceptional, go. Jen. I that is a horrifying story. It was horrifying. Yeah, nothing uh, compared to Mr. Hands. I'll come back. Okay, I'll have to filter it through some type of. Do you remember like that time we broke a bottle of wine, then drank it through a pair of tights? It was a bottle of absinthe, and it was a cardigan. So we're gonna have to do some <laughs> some sort of. Yours was classy. <laughs> Hers was a fabrication. Mine is the truth. An Aaron jumper coated in absinthe. Um, yeah, and if anybody does have any creep dive suggestions, like that fantastic tip off from our new friend Ellen mm. Coyne. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You can't have that as the end. What would you prefer? Nothing. Anyway, another. Go- is that a pig? Is that Travis there holding a baby? Holding a baby. Is that him? Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.